This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. It's been a difficult year for many in Colorado law enforcement between the pandemic and the growing chorus of calls for police reform. On today's show, we'll explore the impacts of these factors on a group that already experiences high rates of mental health struggles. And we talk with Larimer County's Director of Public Health to learn how they're working to curb the rising COVID-19 cases. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Policing and how to reform it has been in the national spotlight in communities across the country this past year. Things have already been difficult in Colorado because of the pandemic, and this effort is yet another stressor for a group that experiences high rates of mental health struggles. In the first of a three-part series we're calling Under Pressure, KUNC's Lee Patterson looks at how these issues are impacting law enforcement in Boulder County. And a warning, this story explicitly mentions violence and mental health struggles and may not be suitable for all listeners. There's a lot of content on Vinnie Montez's <laughs> Facebook page. See my Videos of him singing, goofing around, performing. He's a comedian from Boulder, broad-shouldered and stocky with a huge smile. He's also a cop, a commander with the Boulder County Sheriff's Office. One of the videos has nearly three million views, and it's a really serious one. It's Vinny in his patrol car listing off some of the things he's seen on the job like showing up on the scene of a teen suicide. Do you know what it's like to say, I'm sorry for your loss, and not be able to get the sound of the family member's agonizing screams out of your mind? Or a car accident. Do you know what it's like to give CPR to a 17-year-old kid, to be covered in blood, to do everything you can to save his life, but then have him die anyway? He also talks about stepping over a dead body like a sack of potatoes while trying to save others. Do you know what it's like to try and forget about what you've seen, smelled, tasted, felt, heard, and touched? Well, I do. And maybe give us a little credit for undertaking an incredibly complex and challenging job. He posted this video last June while protests were happening all over the country. People were demanding change, calling out racism, violence, and over-policing, ignited by the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, but born out of the distrust and trauma that many communities of color have lived with for a long time. Colorado lawmakers had just passed Senate Bill 217, the Enhanced Law Enforcement Integrity Act, which was backed by Democrat Leslie Harrod and had bipartisan support. Among its many provisions, the legislation changes the rules around deadly force, body cameras, and officer liability. Uh, I felt like we were on an island for a little while, and I felt like we were alone. Mostly because of messaging like ACAB, all cops are bastards. You're seeing a lot of social media, you know, calling for the defunding of cops, and you see people marching in the streets saying, kill the cops. Wow, that's a lot to take in. Add in the COVID-19 pandemic and you had the perfect recipe for low morale and struggling officers. For many, all of this was layered on top of existing mental health struggles. This is really hard stuff to get cops to talk about, but it's an important issue for Vinny. He wanted to speak up. I, I didn't want to make a video that was attacking anybody um, because that doesn't help things. I just wanted to share my perspective. And I want people to know that these men and women 
they're battling with things. In a 2018 survey conducted by NBC News and the Fraternal Order of Police, a national membership organization, nearly 80 percent of officers reported overwhelming stress on the job. A majority say this has led to lingering emotional issues like becoming easily angered, trouble sleeping and relationship problems. It was a heavy season. It's been a heavy season for about a year and a half. That's Boulder County Sheriff Joe Pelly. He worked on the police reform bill at the request of other sheriffs in the state. I got engaged in that, and that turned out to be a marathon, high-stress deal. And in the meantime, our county's covered with ash and smoke from the wildfires. It was, it was dark. The Boulder County Sheriff's Office offers a variety of mental health services, like therapy through an employee assistance program, but much of it is voluntary. The department doesn't require yearly behavioral health screenings. Some counseling is required, though, following certain traumatic events. We've done a good job of making services available, I believe. What we haven't done a good job with and what we're trying to develop right now is that level of self-awareness and self-assessment. But Pelly's employees have been getting more help since the start of the pandemic. The department's chaplains and peer support teams have been busy. They're doing more outreach. And the department contracts with a team of psychologists whose workload has doubled. All of this is going on. And then in March, this. We begin tonight with the horrific scene playing out late today in Boulder, Colorado. The King super shooting shocked the community. He went in the store. Oh, my God. Ten people were killed by a gunman, including an officer with the Boulder Police Department, Eric Talley. And I have a couple of deputies who were at King Supers and who were shot at and who have to help recover Officer Talley and stand guard over him. And they're, they're hurting. So we're trying to help them uh, as best we can and keep them engaged with professional assistance. This is one of the places many cops can go for help. So I'm the wellness director for the Colorado Fraternal Order of Police. Rebecca Allenson, who was a police officer herself for 18 years, says the need for counseling has gone through the roof over the past year. The fragility of the officers needing the services has increased. You have a very big gap between the officer's experience and then those members, those vocal members on one side who very much think that it is all about violence and it is all about, you know, racism. And, and I think the truth is somewhere in between. Researchers surveyed officers in Los Angeles and Columbus, Ohio, following protests in those cities last summer. They reported high levels of stress and universally low morale. Protesters described police aggression towards them using chemicals and rubber bullets. Researchers recommended that leadership address everyone's trauma if they hope to reform policing. The situation varies across the country. Many communities experience small or sporadic protests. Allenson says here she's seeing pre-existing trauma coupled with new stressors, pushing some officers to take time off from work. It's impacting my family. It's impacting my ability on the job to be cognitively sharp so that I can be safe, so I can keep other people safe. How related is mental health and wellness to being able to serve properly? 100 trillion percent related. And this is the part that we are not talking about. And that's why mental health for the officers, in my opinion, needs to be where we put the money. Little research exists showing a direct link between poor mental health and harmful outcomes like excessive use of force. Instead, 
Many advocates and citizens have argued for solutions like less policing and for routing law enforcement dollars elsewhere. Darren O'Connor, the Criminal Justice Committee Chair for the NAACP of Boulder County, says these solutions can coexist. You know, defund the police isn't saying end the police force. It's apply them appropriately. And it's appropriate to have police officers who are in a good mental state. But he says the reform priorities for this NAACP chapter focus on implicit bias, jail conditions, and giving police oversight groups real enforcement power. State Representative Leslie Harrod argues that officer well-being has already been a part of the national conversation. I mean, we saw the officers who were involved in the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Four have since died by suicide. We need to have ongoing psychological evaluations for our officers just to ensure that they are fit to, to serve and to protect the community. Starting in 2018, Colorado lawmakers have made millions of dollars available for officer mental health services but getting officers to use services is a persistent challenge. 90% of the participants in the Fraternal Order of Police survey said the stigma around getting help is huge. My dad was law enforcement officer for 30 years, and so I know it's not an easy job, and I do hope that officers who need help get it and that their departments support them in getting that support. Some do, like Vinnie Montez. Years ago, the Boulder County Sheriff's Office commander had a serious breakdown after trying and failing to save the 17-year-old kid who had been in a car accident. He talked about it in the video. I had seen so many things, uh, heard so many things, experienced so many things, that I was angry because I never dealt with those emotions. I just packed them away. He started going to therapy, got into comedy, started feeling a lot better. Fast forward to a recent summer evening in Boulder. The sheriff's office is hosting a block party. Kids are climbing all over a patrol car. People are eating tacos from a food truck. Vinny loves this stuff. This event right here gives us the opportunity to show people the, I guess, the normal side of what we do. People see us when they're in crisis oftentimes or when things are not going well. He's laughing, smiling, taking pictures with kids, chatting up the neighbors, even dancing a little bit. But there's always going to be people just like the people across the street right now and that are going to come and protest us. A few people have appeared holding signs that say defund the police, no justice, no peace. This is kind of an, uh, a little microcosm it of everything. It is a very microcosm of everything, but this is the reality of where we're at in 2021. Avil, excuse me, because I need to make sure we're going to be okay here. A lot has changed for law enforcement in Boulder since the start of 2020. In-person events like this one are happening again, and morale is improving. But tension over policing persists, as incidents of excessive force keep happening across the state. Lee Patterson, KUNC. Our series, Under Pressure, continues tomorrow with a look at how policing is changing at one apartment complex in Boulder, where 911 calls have drastically increased over the past few years. I want to help my community and for my community to feel safe again and be able to walk at any time of the night and feel like, oh no, nothing's going to happen to me. That's what, the, what I wish for. You can go deeper with our series on policing in Boulder at our website, KUNC.org.
You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. In the spring and early summer, a lot of people were feeling a lot more optimistic about an end to the pandemic, with vaccines more widely available and case rates dropping. But that is not the case anymore, and that is in large part due to the spread of the Delta variant. In Larimer County, Public Health Director Tom Gonzalez is urging residents to stop the spread by getting vaccinated. He's with us now to talk about what the pandemic is looking like there and how his approach to combating the virus has evolved. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Erin, thanks for having me on. Now, we've been seeing rapid spread of COVID-19 and in particular the Delta variant across the state and across the country over the last few weeks. What are the infection rates looking like right now in Larimer County? Yeah, Aaron, I'll tell you the Delta variant has changed the game here in Larimer County and the state and the nation. We're now over 225 uh, per 100,000 for our seven-day rate. Compare that back to late May, early June, where we got 22 per 100,000. Wow. Okay. Do we know how COVID is spreading in the county? Are there any hot spots or, or big outbreaks? Certainly, we're seeing it from households. It's this virus is very transmissible, uh, double that of the alpha strain. So that means uh, that virus, uh, the wild strand of the alpha, would get one to two people contagious from one sick person. Now that's gone up to four to six. We're seeing it in indoor settings, uh, just like we have throughout the pandemic. Uh, And that's why we are urging everyone to wear face coverings indoors and get vaccinated if you're eligible as quick as you can. Right. And as I mentioned a few months ago, it felt like there was this sense of a light at the end of the tunnel that we wouldn't have to be wearing masks anymore, you know, with vaccines more widely available. But given the rise of the highly contagious Delta variant, that just doesn't feel like the case now. How has the spread of variants changed your outlook and the outlook of public health professionals at this stage of the pandemic? Well, certainly, again, it's a game changer with the Delta variant. We're, we've taken a step backward because of the virus and its ability to mutate. Um, so we're back to basic uh, recommendations and protocols, and that's the vac uh, limiting indoor uh, gatherings and, and making sure you've got masks on in those situations or take it outdoors. Uh, the spread is a lot less outdoors. We're certainly uh, back to encouraging all of our businesses and, and workforce to uh, do remote work again. It seems to be better to keep folks at home as much as possible if they can so we're not indoors in settings where we could be easily spreading the virus. And then absolutely, if you have symptoms, sore throat, cough, fever, uh, you're congested, get tested, stay home, isolate. The biggest challenge with this Delta variant though is you are contagious two days. So you, before symptoms or pre-symptomatic and you can be out in the community spreading the virus and not even know it. You're not even showing symptoms. So it's just so important to make sure we're washing hands and wearing face coverings indoors again. I know it's frustrating, but that's a simple method to reduce the overall transmission within our community. Right. I want to talk about vaccines. You and many other health officials say vaccines are the number one way to end the pandemic. According to the Larimer County COVID-19 dashboard, just under 60% of residents are fully vaccinated, about 58%. How do you feel about that number? And do you sense that there's going to be some movement on that 58%? Well, I certainly hope there is, especially with the 
uh, FDA giving full approval to Pfizer vaccine last week down to 16 year olds. And we're hearing some movement with Pfizer getting their information, all their trial studies to FDA to, to get approval down to five-year-olds real soon. We are hoping to see an uptick in vaccinations. We, we believe and continue to believe this is the way out of the pandemic. Much of our severe symptoms, uh, hospitalizations, ICU are unvaccinated people. So we are just strongly encouraging people to get vaccinated that are eligible. Uh, it, it's one less person in the hospital. It's low, one less death in our community. And, and it really is important to understand that these vaccines work. You're sure there's some breakthroughs, but you're talking 80% of our cases. And then 93 of our hospitalizations that require you to go to the ICU are unvaccinated people. Wow. Right. We've heard a lot of communities are in situations where Basically, everyone who wants a vaccine has gotten one, and now it's about convincing those who don't think they want one or aren't sure about it to do it. Uh, do, does this feel true for Larimer County as well? It, it does, and I, I, we're working really hard with our equity team on bringing the vaccine to our communities, whether that's our rural community, whether it's our BIPOC community or Spanish speaking uh, community. We're doing a massive campaign where we're doing two to three, what we call pop-up equity clinics. We're coming to communities and we're having some great success. And we're gonna just continue to do that. If we can get 50 shots in an arm at a pop-up clinic, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, in, in one of our communities, that's a success to us. So we're gonna continue to do that. And we have to remind uh, people. The vaccine is at no cost. It's free. We still get questions about how much does it cost? Do I have to have my insurance card? You don't need any of that. You come and get that shot and get that uh, first shot in you, of the Moderna or Pfizer or, or the J&J one shot, uh, shot, but there's no cost. And uh, it's all on our website, where we're at, when we're going to be at. But like today, we're up in Estes Park, Tomorrow we'll be at some of our schools. Then we have our fixed clinics, both in Loveland and, and Fort Collins. We just want to make it the easy way uh, to get a vaccine. I'm curious if you have any plans to uh, have some of these mobile clinics at, say, a high school. Absolutely. Last week we were at Rocky Mountain High School during school. and got 26 people vaccinated. Uh, I believe we're at uh, a middle school tomorrow. Uh, so, Yes, we are working with our school districts, our charter schools, private schools to bring uh, the vaccines uh, right there with what we call a school-based clinic. Okay. And is that for teachers and staff? Is it for students who are old enough to get the vaccine? It's anybody eligible uh, to get the vaccine, yes. Right. All right. And you may have touched on this a bit, but I wanted to talk about some of the disparities in who is vaccinated in Larimer County. We know 85% of those 70 and up are vaccinated. But when you look at 18 to 24 year olds, only 44% are fully vaccinated. Are there efforts to address that kind of disparity? Aaron, that's a great question. And what we're hearing from our, our 18 to 24 year olds, our young people, is they, they see this just as a common um, cold. They don't see the necessity or this, you know, that severity to go get the, the vaccine. And in many cases, it can be just the common cold. But in other instances, we see this to be a very severe disease that puts even younger people in the hospital. But what we're really messaging is 
Now, maybe you, it is a common cold for you, but you're spreading the virus to others where it's not a common cold, increasing our case rate, increasing our hospitalizations and putting a real big strain on our hospitals. So we're really trying to say this is to protect your neighbor, to protect people in your community, because once you're vaccinated, the risk of you spreading the virus drastically reduces versus you being unvaccinated. And that brings me to my next question, Tom. I wanted to ask about hospitals. We've been hearing a lot about hospitals around the country reaching maximum capacity, uh, especially in parts of the South, but not exclusively. Uh, In some cases, they're reaching hospitalization levels that are higher than any point during the pandemic. Wondering how hospitals in Larimer County are faring right now. Well, that's a great question. I was just on the phone with our hospitals again. And when we talk hospitals, we talk about Northern Colorado. We share two hospital systems here in Northern Colorado, including Weld County, Larimer, and beyond out east. But that's UC Health and Banner. I'm hearing that their ICUs are full, again, uh, that 40% of those people in their ICUs are COVID-19 patients. And they are doubling up rooms now. Now you got to picture this: if it's a COVID-19 room, it has to be negative air pressure. Usually, these folks are prone, so they're lying on their stomach. So you got two people in a small room, doubled up, and you have healthcare providers, skilled healthcare providers like respiratory respiratory therapists, there are doctors, RNs, all trying to treat and maneuver and care for people in these really congested, tight situations. So they're full, and that, what's that led to is. Uh, the governor has asked for the state of Colorado to open up the combined hospital transfer system working through the Colorado Hospital Association so that we can get patients to the best care, whether that's in our region or another region. So patients are being transferred here or out based upon their care need because our ICUs are full. And when we say ICUs, we, we also talk about our progressive care units. So that's a step down from the intensive care. They're full as well. So we have some real stress going on in our hospitals, and we've got some tired doctors and tired respiratory therapists that really need a break. So that's where this call to action is to all of our community members to please get vaccinated and to please wear your face covering indoors. Right. Earlier in the pandemic, there was a, a move to limit or cancel voluntary procedures, hospital procedures. Do you foresee that happening again? That's already happened with UC Health. That's they're on day eleven of not providing any elective surgeries. Banner is only doing uh, same day, nothing that requires a bed overnight because of the, the severity of beds and workers. So they that's already moving along right now. Well, lastly, I want to ask about children. We're hearing about a lot more cases among the pediatric sector. Is Larimer County also seeing an uptick in cases and hospitalizations with kids? We are seeing an uptick in cases for sure. Definitely with our school age kids and childcare kids, we're really monitoring that situation, working with all of our schools and childcares. And I'm highly, highly begging in some cases to wear face coverings in these situations to slow the spread. We're not seeing an uptick in hospitalizations necessarily. We have had a couple uh, under the age 16 in the hospital with COVID-19. We're monitoring that situation, but we certainly are seeing higher spread within those situations, um, those circumstances, more than we did last year because of all the protocols we had for COVID-19. So uh, we are certainly monitoring that situation with our youth. Right. Well, Tom, I'd like to wrap up just by asking about 
hospital workers. We know the pandemic has been extremely challenging for the medical community. What are you hearing from hospital workers and how are they holding up? I'll tell you, I'm hearing all emotions. They're stressed, they're sad, they're angry, they're frustrated. Uh, They're our heroes. They are saving lives every day in the hospital. And I'm, I'm talking to them right now. You're working so hard. We appreciate everything you're doing. And I know every day you go into that hospital and you know you're going to work your tail off to try to care for twice as many people than in a normal situation. And I, I'm just uh, calling out to our, our community to let's give our hospitals a break. Let's do our part to slow the spread of COVID-19, reduce the stress on our hospitals, because I'm worried it, 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 all other health conditions, whether that's um, trauma from an accident or or a, a cancer situation or a heart attack, we're going to have stressful situations to provide a good level of care in our hospitals right now due to this COVID-19 surge. Right. Tom Gonzalez is Larimer County's Public Health Director. Tom, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. That's our show for today. Tomorrow, we look at what the end of the federal eviction moratorium means for Colorado renters. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Ray Solomon, Tess Novotny, and Alana Schreiber. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.